We've got marijuana on the brain on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. A couple of stories to talk about it regarding weed. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. We got news to discuss, so let's discuss it. The battle over legalizing recreational marijuana in Ohio on the November ballot is creating some interesting political divisions. Last week, we recounted the groups lining up against the idea. On Monday, supporters received a big endorsement, which should not be surprising, except that it kind of is. Lisa, who is it? Well, it's Congressman Dave Joyce, the Republican from South Russell. He's been co-chair of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus for a few years now. He does support the recreational marijuana ballot measure. He says the regulatory regime in the proposal lets communities decide if they want patent businesses in their areas or not. He says it also provides a structure to keep it away from people under 21 without a doctor's consent. And he said that employers can maintain their employee drug use policies. So that's not going to change. And he also said, look, the genie is not going back into the bottle. 47 states have either decriminalized or permitted cannabis or cannabis products. He says the Ohio measure is a responsible approach. And he says he looks forward to voting yes in November. This is such a troubling issue in so many ways. You know, there's the part of you that says live and let live, let people decide but then you see the opponents and another opponent lined up against it yesterday. Right. Talking about how this affects kids and how, what was it? There was a statistic in a story. Like if a worker is using marijuana, they have a 55% bigger chance of having an accident or something. So, so there is a ramification here for society, but it is a society that allows people to buy alcohol willy nilly. So how do you parse that? Well, I you treat marijuana like alcohol, just <laughs> like the ballot proposal says. So as you said, you know, uh, another group has joined the opposition. That's the Ohio Business Roundtable. Its chair, Frank Sullivan, says that expanding to recreational marijuana is detrimental co- to community safety, child health, and workforce development. He says Ohio's economy is on a roll, and apparently he thinks legalizing recreational marijuana would be bad for that. He said it puts puts Ohioans at risk and and is a workplace safety issue, as you said. But people who test positive for marijuana at work aren't necessarily high when they're tested because it stays in your fat cells in your bloodstream for a week or more. So the contrast to that argument is Michigan. Michigan legalized it a few years back and Michigan's economy is moving along quite nicely. So it's hard to argue that legalizing marijuana trashes your economy and it is legal in a bunch of states now. I, it's just a, I mean, part of that argument they were making yesterday sounded like the old reefer madness kind of argument. But is it, this is just fascinating. And Dave Joyce, it, it's not surprising because he has been talking about this for years. He was a mm-hmm. county prosecutor. He saw the ridiculousness of chasing people down for minor marijuana offenses and what it did to their lives. And he came out long ago and said, this is just stupid. We shouldn't do it. But he is a Republican conservative, and it is the Republican conservatives that are mostly lining up against this. So it's a big deal for him to stand up and say Ohio should pass this in the face of all this conservative opposition, right? 
Yeah, and I actually give him credit for that. But, you know, he has never wavered in his stance about marijuana. As you said, he was a former prosecutor. He saw how low-level defendants lost jobs, lost families, just because they, you know, smoked a little pot at night, you know. So he saw a wrong there, and he wants to right it. I'm expecting the debate on our editorial board about this one to be fevered. It might even be worth recording to share because I think people are going to be coming from a bunch of directions. It's a it's a great issue to to chew on and discuss. Unlike the other issue on the ballot, abortion, there's nothing good can come from that. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We all know that election fraud is nearly non-existent in America, despite what Donald Trump wants people to believe. But we actually had a bona fide case of it in Cayuga County from a Trump supporter. Layla, what price is he paying for voting twice in the same election? James Saunders is going to spend the next three years in prison. The judge in this case, Andrew Santoli, sentenced him to the maximum penalty for committing two felony counts of election fraud. And the judge called his actions purposeful, intentional, and cavalier. Saunders is also going to have to pay a $10,000 fine. But before he was sentenced, Saunders told the judge that he doesn't plan to vote anymore. His voting days are behind him (laughs) and that it would be useless for the judge to make an example out of him because voter fraud cases are so rare. (laughs) Well, he's right about that. I mean, (laughs) Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Michael Valley said after the hearing that Saunders' case was the only example his office has seen of someone blatantly violating the state's voting laws. He voted twice in both the 2020 and 2022 elections, once in Ohio and once in Florida. And records show that he did the same thing in 14 and 16, but the statute of limitations had lapsed for prosecuting him for those. And and here's a little kicker. Santoli ordered Saunders to repay the Cuyahoga County public defenders for their representation of him, because it turns out that he didn't qualify for a taxpayer funded lawyer. He had lived a total life of leisure until his rich parents passed away in the last decade. And then he decided to quit his job as a lawyer to live off a trust fund. And so that doesn't qualify as indigent. I did think their last minute argument to postpone the sentencing or postpone sending him to prison for their appeal was interesting. They're saying he didn't vote in the same election because in America, states run separate elections. So he voted in separate elections and it doesn't fit the letter of the law. That's just dumb. He voted twice in the presidential election. He knew you shouldn't. Does the sentence seem a little stiff? I don't think so. Right. I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe I, I don't. I, I maybe I'm just speaking from a place of like, yeah, that's what you get. <laughs> I was floored by three years when I talked to our editor John Canigli, and he told me, and I was like, what? I mean, I expected not quite a slap on the wrist, but a fine for sure, maybe a, some jail time just to make a point. Three years is a really long time to go away and for taxpayers to foot the bill. But you're right, he, the cavalier term I think is so true because he did this you know four times two that he's getting sentenced for and it's like he kind of thought like I can get away with this the trust fund thing totally goes with that right like I'm above the rules yeah I know but three years seems three awfully years stiff to me six months I think would have sent the message I think what the judge is trying to say here is if you ever anybody in public land thinks about doing this the, the hammer is going to drop on you because 
it does undermine the faith of America and its election system. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you somebody's going to use this case in the future to talk about the weakness of our election systems, even though I would argue this case shows the strength of our yeah, election system. Yeah, he got caught. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good case. Good story. I'm sorry, Lisa? No, I just, just, uh, I just said eventually he got caught. <laughs> yeah, if it had been one time back in 2014, would anything have ever come on it, right? It's like the repeated, do you ever get caught the first time for anything? It's so stupid. It's like, it's like instead of having one grain of sand on the beach, I'm going to have two grains of sand on the beach. What was he thinking? (laughs) And as the judge said, you know, this was a crime against every citizen. And that's, uh, I think he was certainly trying to make an example of him. Yeah, I I think that because of the undermining of the system, that's probably what that's about. Interesting story. You can read all about it on cleveland.com, and you are listening to Today in Ohio. I swear Jim Jordan must have some undiagnosed malady that causes him to go haywire if he has too few minutes in the limelight on conservative media. Laura, he is firing in all directions again of late in what seems to be nothing more than a bid for attention. Look at me. Look at me. Who's the target this week? Apparently, his mom should have paid more attention when he was going off the diving board (laughs) when he was a child. Um, But this is about everyone's favorite controversy, Hunter Biden's laptop. So Jim Jordan's dissatisfied with this Justice Department handling of the probe into President Biden's son. So he and two other House committee chairs on Monday, they asked the Justice Department to provide documents on David Weiss's appointment as special counsel to handle the case. And they all want Garland to give him all the documents and communications about Weiss's appointment as special counsel, any additional scope, memoranda, directives, instructions from the attorney general about the appointment and to deliver them all by September 11th. I wonder if they picked that date on purpose. I'm not sure. But they say that Biden, Hunter Biden got special treatment from the Justice Department because he's Biden's son. And they had a hearing last week where they talked about this with the IRS saying that prosecutors were slow walking the probe. He should have been charged with a tax felony instead of misdemeanors. I I don't really feel like there's anything new here. We've all known that Jim Jordan thinks there's something fishy here. So but he's lashing out again. The problem is he he shoots everywhere. Right. I mean, if he had something that he thought was a serious breach or affront, then go and explore that deeply. But he just keeps firing at everybody. I mean, the idea that he's going after criminal prosecutors, that's that's just wrong. That's a separate branch. And when he's talking to state prosecutors, I hope they all tell him to stick it. But But these are all criminal investigations. And you have to allow the criminal investigation to proceed to its conclusion before you start to analyze it, because otherwise you're interfering with criminal investigations. But he doesn't care about the rule of law. He's no. just trying to get attention. It's so embarrassing that he's from Ohio. The whole nation sees this guy and thinks, oh, that's what Ohio was like. <laughs> I mean, it's the whole point of his weaponization committee, right? He's saying he's using that committee to investigate times when the government's been used as a weapon, but it does feel like he is the one using his powers as a weapon. Oh, yeah, clearly. He is weaponizing that committee. The government's not weaponizing anything. He's the weaponizer. And again, he's Ohio's shame. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Do you remember those quiet days of yore in a campaign when a plumber could gain national attention by asking a few questions of a presidential candidate before the candidates were all about keeping the tension on themselves? 
I'm talking about Joe the Plumber, who died this week. He was Ohio's own. Lisa, how about catching us up on what he did in the years after his rise to national fame 15 years ago? Yeah, of course, a little bit of backstory. Of course, I think everybody knows who's, who's Joe the plumber is, but he was working as a plumber in Toledo in 2008 when Barack Obama swang, swung through town on a campaign uh, trail, and he asked Obama about his tax plan. That exchange went viral, and it was used by the GOP presidential nominee, John McCain. Um, he referred to Joe the plumber repeatedly on the campaign trail and during the presidential debate. So that led to Wurzelbacher campaigning with McCain and VP nominee Sarah Palin. He spoke at Tea Party rallies and other conservative events. He even wrote a book. He ran for Congress in 2012, but then he lost in a landslide to Democrat at Marcy Captor, and he was recruited by the GOP to run, but he later drew flack. He said that he, you know, the U.S. should build a border fence and start shooting at suspected illegal immigrants, and that kind of started his fall from grace and his fall from politics. Um, he left politics and then returned to plumbing. He apparently married during that time, and he does leave behind a wife, Katie, and four children. He died young. He was only 49. What what struck me, I hadn't thought about him in years, but what struck me is back then, regular people would be the cartoon characters of the political campaigns. And then Donald Trump came along. And now the candidates are the cartoon characters of political campaigns. I don't know that a Joe the plumber could arise today because the candidates suck all the air out of the room. Just look at last week's Republican presidential debate. Right. And, you know, I think we're always looking for that every man, you know, that can speak for the party, but I don't think they want every man to speak for the party anymore. They, they want to control that message tightly. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know about you. I never felt like you spoke for me. Uh, he seemed like a bit of the circus back in the days when... <laughs> When it was kind of quaint. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I can't believe it was that long ago. Like, you bring up Joe the Plumber, and I wouldn't have guessed it was 15 years ago. Yeah, I know. I know. But it's, but it does seem like a completely different era of American well, politics. Well, it was. It was pre-Trump. It was before. I mean, that's probably when Trump was still on The Apprentice, right? Yeah, can we ever get back to those days and get away <laughs> from the Trump nonsense? You're listening to Today in Ohio. Mike DeWine has been good to his word, sending the Ohio Highway Patrol back into Cleveland at intervals to stem the crime wave born of easy car thefts and access to guns. They were back on Thursday and Friday. Layla, what were the results this time? So in the past couple weeks, Cleveland police and the Ohio State Highway Patrol troopers have made nearly 100 felony arrests. They've recovered stolen vehicles, and since mid-August, they've seized more than 40 illegal guns. The two agencies have targeted areas of high crime by bringing in 40 to 50 troopers to work alongside a, about an equal number of Cleveland police officers. And Thursday and Friday, law enforcement officers arrested 42 people, seized 28 firearms, recovered 10 stolen vehicles, and recovered a variety of drugs, including heroin, crack cocaine, fentanyl, ecstasy, and other illegal pills like, like that. In, in a separate incident, they swooped in to arrest a group on Cleveland's west side that had stolen cars. And they, you know, Cleveland police, with the help of the state patrol's uh, aviation unit, found the vehicle, made the arrests. Police Chief Wayne Drummond said that helped officers close at least 10 cases. And using the State Highway Patrol's aviation unit really spared the city from another dangerous high-speed chase on city streets. 
Like this was way overdue. I mean, we were haranguing Mike DeWine to do something and now he is. And you've got to feel like there's a collective sigh of relief that somebody is doing something to stop this. And you'd hope that the people doing all of these crimes would be a little bit scared now that that anytime they go out, they could be swooped upon by a hundred different officers that are looking just for them. Yeah, I'm I'm very impressed by the results of this this initiative so far. I mean, that's really remarkable considering the shortage of police officers that we've had, the spike in violent crime. I mean, it really seems like this assistance has gone a long way toward restoring order to the city at a time like this. And uh, yeah, I just I'm, I'm I'm it's really remarkable. Yeah. And you've got a feeling that they've got some good intelligence. I mean, you don't just sweep in for two days and happen upon this stuff. You've got to know something ahead of time. And that mm-hmm. ought to unnerve the bad guys, too, that there might right. be people among them that are that are giving up information. It, look, if it works as any kind of deterrent, Cleveland will be safer. So I hope they come back often. I hope we see them some more. This was a very good operation last week. And they always say that, you know, we've heard it many times that the majority of of violent crime is perpetrated by a very small minority of, of, uh, of people in the city. So if you can get those guys off the street... This it could make a huge difference for the sense of safety of, of Clevelanders. I'm we curious to out, know. Oh, go ahead, Lisa. I'm curious to know how many of those they arrested were under 21. You know, because as we know, at least with the auto thefts, a lot of them are being done by teens. So that, I'd like to know. Well, it's also we should point out it's protecting lives because the kids that are stealing these Kias are driving them at 90 miles an hour. We had another one die, I think, right at the end of last week. It was a single car accident, so he didn't kill anybody else. But you have people dying who are stealing these cars and are very reckless in the way they drive them. If you get them off the street, you might just save their lives as well as whoever they might hit. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We talked Monday about all the weather bedlam from last week, but we also had an earthquake in Northeast Ohio of a magnitude we have not seen in recent years. Laura, where was it and what did people who experienced it have to say? Yeah, this was a big one just late Sunday, a 4.2, the biggest we've seen since June of 2019. That was also a 4.2, but that one was under Lake Erie. This one was under the land, but same sort of area in Lake County. And Last time, there were a bunch of comments about how people felt it and big. This time, we saw a bunch of Reddit comments, and Peter Krause reached out to some people, including a fire district chief in Madison, who said it felt like a sonic boom. I also talked to a vineyard owner out there who talked about the rumbling. So a 4.2, it's not going to damage a building unless it's you know pretty unsecured and it's right over the epicenter, but it is enough to feel it. And you know, we get more of these than you would think. This is the 50th in Ohio this year, even if we don't think of Ohio like California. I would love to know if there's some fault line we're not aware of. I mean, to feel a sonic boom because the earth is moving, that's unnerving. What What is going on down there and what might it lead to? The idea that we get all these quakes and people say, well, it's the lake and we have we have these weird geologic formations. A sonic boom from the earth 
from the earth quaking scares me. Yeah, that is scary. I mean, I've never felt an earthquake. I know we've had them and people in the newsroom before have said, what was that? And I was like, I literally didn't notice anything. So I'm not the most <laughs> um, susceptible to feeling these tremors. But yeah, we don't really know the reasoning. But it is generally when it's in Northeast Ohio, it's under Lake County. I don't know that there's ever been an episode. There probably has been, but I I don't know of one. You know, that's right over Cleveland, right under Cleveland. But it you do wonder. I know people were talking last time. There's because of all the fracking that contributes to the unstable and unstable instability in the Earth or high water during a couple of years ago in the lake was thought to be a cause. I don't know that we know or will ever know exactly why. It, but you the know, fact get the quake. But the fact this wasn't under the lake and it was under it was south of Madison, that is a bit of a game changer. That's that says that something else is going on. Anyway, interesting story. You can read the comments by the people in Pete's story. This was not some minor, oh, look what happened. They felt it. And just so we're to, clear, there was there was one last Thursday too, and then there were two aftershocks. So total of four within four days. Yeah, but there was only one of the bigger magnitude. Yes. And it had been, yes. what, five years since we had since one? Since 2019, so four years. June of 2019. Yeah. I don't know if it's more common in the summer or, or what. You're listening to Today in Ohio. You've got to wonder what legalized recreational marijuana could mean to this situation. What is up with more than 30 medical marijuana dispensaries that should have been open by now, but are not? Lisa. So there's a provision in Ohio's two-year budget bill that gives these 30 unopened marijuana dispensaries until December 31st to open, and any pending disciplinary actions by these provisional license holders will be dismissed if they open by that date. They were supposed to have cleared inspection and be open by last February of 11th, and so this would include fines for being late, and they signed acknowledgments with the Board of Pharmacy, you know, acknowledging their lateness. Um, the delays that these license holders talked about included city permit delays, construction issues, problems building out their space, and landlord disputes. It's unknown, though, which lawmaker requested this amendment and inserted it into the two-year budget. So license owners with a clean record, which they would get if they opened by December 31st, they can easily sell their license to multi-state operators that trade on the Canadian Securities Exchange. Some agreements have already been made for an option to purchase by some of these uh, 30 license holders. And these could sell for millions of dollars. I mean, we've had $1.4 billion in medical marijuana sales in Ohio since 2019. So 70 new licensees were awarded in 2021 because the Board of Pharmacy saw that there really weren't enough dispensaries. A lot of people had to drive a long way to get to one. So they created these 70 new licenses. They had 270 days to pass inspection and open, and they these 30 didn't do that. And of course, the dispensaries that did make the deadlines and did open on time are a little bit upset. They're like, well, you know, they're kind of getting, you know, an advantage here. And a Columbus attorney for marijuana businesses, Greg May, say that this is a big gift to the multi-state operators. They can swoop in and buy up these licenses. And of course, this can all turn upside down after November. If we do legalize recreational marijuana, it'll be hard to see yet just how this will affect these places. You are listening to Today in Ohio. We've got a couple of business stories that have big meaning for Ohio, one involving the Sheets 
gas station chain and the other involving Google. Layla, what are the companies investing and what is the money for? Google announced plans Monday to spend $1.7 billion to expand its three Ohio data center sites to boost their artificial intelligence efforts and tools like Google Search and Maps and Gmail. The sites, which include a completed center in the Columbus suburb of New Albany and data centers being built in South Columbus and Lancaster, these are the latest in a recent series of data center investments in central Ohio, which now total about $4 billion dollars. And the additional money will be used to complete the Columbus and Lancaster data centers, as well as expand that new Albany facility. The construction is going to create about 1,200 jobs at each facility. But once the construction is complete, it's a little unclear how many new jobs we're going to see down there. These, These aren't really the kinds of corporate expansions that lead to huge job creation. But at a news conference announcing all this, Lieutenant Governor John Houston said, there might not be a lot of new jobs, but there'll be high quality, high quality jobs. And he also noted that the facilities themselves will create work for other businesses in the areas, such as heating and cooling repair and trash collection and things like that. And, you know, this this will make Central Ohio one of only two regions in the nation that will have three Google data centers besides this cluster of data centers in, in Council Bluffs, Iowa and nearby Nebraska. Now, as for Sheets, Sheets has announced it's building a $145 million food preparation and distribution facility in Findlay, and the company said the plant will create more than 700 jobs over five years, and they say this is part of the company's plans to expand throughout the state of Ohio and into Michigan in 2025. The the data centers, uh, I've read stories in other places where they're pretty loud. And if hmm. they're built anywhere near where residences are, the people resent them. I've, I've never checked out where these are, but you got to hope they have a big enough buffer. That's um, interesting. What just... causes the noise? Do they have a pickleball? Cord? I was just going to say pickleball. <laughs> it's the hum of the, the servers. Uh, there was, I forget where it was. Was it Maryland or West Virginia? Um, there was a story I read a year or two ago about that it's it was problematic. Uh, hmm. They also are major users of power. Mm-hmm. And if Ohio doesn't upgrade its power generation, I would start right. to think that might be a problem as well. I mean, mm-hmm. these things sound like they're enormous. Yeah. That's those are good concerns. I I had, I had never heard that about the noise. I think that would have been the last New, thing I would have attributed to this. New Albany is I mean, obviously that's where Intel is going. So you've got to think that uh I mean, they have a lot of land. That's why new, you know, Intel is going there. It, but it, I mean, it's just got to be booming, and all of the roads around there they're expanding, and yeah, it must just be crazy in that part of Ohio. How close are these facilities to residential areas? Do we, we should know check. It'd be an interesting story to go look at because it's becoming such a big industry. As for sheets, I'm sure that's going to be high quality gourmet food. People <laughs> love sheets, though. I mean, we don't have one close to us, but I mean, I drove past one the other day and it's like open 24 hours. So I guess you can go get your cheese sandwich in the middle of the night and it'll, it'll be there for you. <laughs> okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. First, it was Cleveland Heights City Council having fireworks in their council meetings with misbehaving council members. Now it's a Brook Park councilman who is getting attention for fireworks. Laura, what did he do? 
Well, last time we talked about fireworks laws, which was around the 4th of July. We said people do it all the time. No one really gets charged. But this guy got charged. Councilman Brian Poindexter, he pleaded not guilty Friday to three charges of discharging or exploding fireworks. That's a misdemeanor uh, during at, at Berea Municipal Court. Apparently, he was charged August 11th. But the documents in the case say the incident took place July 3rd, so the night before the Independence Day. So I don't I don't know what happened. It doesn't seem like he got arrested that night and he didn't want to talk. Yeah, I I guess when you're an elected council member, you probably need to set the example and not set off fireworks. Everybody else sets them off, but you're the guy who's the leader. I suspect one of his neighbors was thinking that way. Wait, you're a councilman. You're the ones that sets the rules and you're breaking them. <sighs> Yeah, that's probably going to be a feud if that's happening. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I immediately had the thought when I read this: How many people did get charged this year with fireworks misdemeanors? I, you know, for next July Fourth, we ought to look back in the Muni courts and figure it out because. Is he the only guy to be charged in the whole coverage area? Well, or? there's a whole lot of, of holidays because obviously this is a state law that said, hey, you can set off fireworks on a whole bunch of holidays. Um, obviously, the 4th of July is probably the most popular, but cities can opt out. They can say, no, we still don't want them. And so Brook Park was one of the many that said we still don't want them. But I wonder, I wonder if people are going to be setting off for different holidays, too. Well, isn't isn't Labor Day one of the holidays? Probably, but so is weekend. that like a common fireworks holiday for you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for the Tuesday episode. Thank you, Lisa, Laura, and Layla. Thank you, everybody who listens to this podcast. And thanks to everybody who sends us notes about the podcast. We love hearing what you think of it. We'll be back tomorrow talking about the news. 